You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. If you're turning with me, we're going to start... Actually, the first scripture I'm going to read you is one we read last week, but I'm going to hit that again because we're kind of kind of in a part three, I guess. But today I want to talk to you about kind of the same thing we've been talking about for the past three or four, maybe five weeks. And if you're part of this church and you consider yourself connected or apart, I encourage you, please go back. If you've missed some of the last several weeks, I'm going to say five weeks, if you've missed any of those or you've been out, go listen to the the podcast or go on Facebook. You can see it there. You can go to my page or the church's page or get the podcast on your phone. Go back and listen to those um, because I believe that we're in a well, when you listen to them, you'll see it. But I believe that we're in a season to where God's doing something new and something big. And every one of us has a part to play. And so the more of us that actually step up and put on our jacket that we're supposed to be wearing and take off our old little baby jackets, then the more we'll get done and the more powerful we can be in the kingdom. And I want you to know where we're going and feel the heart of God. But... I struggle with that because like as I sat in my office yesterday, I thought, yeah, these messages are going out and it's letting people know like where I'm at, what I feel like God's saying to us. But then I get up here, I'm like, oh no, so-and-so is not here. They're not going to know the direction we're going. But I have to trust that God knows if they're not here. So I'm encouraging you to go listen to it. If you're a part of this church or if you're listening to the podcast right now, go back and listen to the other ones. All right, so... This will be kind of a part three of the take off your coat message. The first week was we talked about the coat that you're wearing. And then last week we talked about whose coat are you holding, that you might be holding somebody else's coat. Today, number three, is your coat a ripoff? Is your coat a ripoff? I'm not talking about that one you got at the flea market. I'm talking about something different. Just keep that in your mind. Is your coat a ripoff? Let's read Colossians 3. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. Colossians 3, verse, verses 12 through 14. We read this last week, so now I'm going to read it back to you as a test. Because last week we read it and said, hey, this is what Paul's telling us that we should put on. This should be our garment. So now as I read it, think about this past week and see if you put any of this stuff on. If you could go down through there and make a check mark by any of these that you actually wore this week, that you presented to people this week. Verse 12. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion. Kindness. I would ask you all to raise your hands, but we won't do that. Humility. Have you dressed in humility this week? Some of you need to. How about quiet strength? Quiet strength. Discipline. Well, I think there's probably some areas of all of our lives we could dress in discipline a little more often. Discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. 
quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. That's tough. Have you done well on that this week? And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never leave home without it. Don't leave home without love. Whatever jacket and whatever through all of this that I believe God's speaking to us as a church and to us as individuals that some of us need to take off our old jackets and put on new jackets. And your jacket's a symbol of who you are and how you present yourself to the world. But as Christians, all of our garments should have love. We should all have love every day. And Paul said it's your basic, all-purpose garment. Don't leave home without love. Because whatever else you do doesn't matter if you don't have love. So there are some things that we need to lay aside. Maybe some things that we need to take off and some things that we need to put on. Can't just, don't just take it off and then run around with no, no, you need to have a covering. You need to have a jacket on. So there are some things you need to take off and some things you need to put on. Look at Hebrews 12.1. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, or beset us, that's to trip us or make us weak. So we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So lay aside the weight and the sin that could trip us up, that would take our joy. That would make us weak. And I point out that weight and sin are different. So just because it's not a sin. Doesn't mean it's not something you need to take off. Some of us are carrying around some weights. that It's not a sin. It's not bad. But we need to take it off. Why? Because it's taking our joy. It's tripping us. It's making us weak. We're not as strong as we should be. So... The weight and the sin. And let us run. We always talk about running the race. I've run this race. Let us run. I love running a race when I'm faster than everybody else in the race. It's the only kind of race I love to run, and that doesn't. And one day that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How? How are we supposed to do that? Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, my question is, how do you run... With patience. That seems hard. like when I'm running a race, I don't have any patience. I'm trying to get to the finish line as fast as I possibly can. There's no patience involved. Or either I'm not competitive and I'm horrible at running races. And I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews wanted us to be in our Christian faith is horrible and lose. So how do I run with patience? That word was a Greek word. It was translated patience. You know what it means? Consistency. 
Oh, that brings a whole new meaning. Let us run with consistency the race that is set before us. Be constant, be faithful, be consistent. Weights and sin will distract you. You know your job? You have to go to work every day and provide for your family, and you have to work a job. That's not a sin. That's actually a good thing. But did you know your job, you can turn it into a weight? When it becomes more than it's supposed to be, or it takes God's focus or God's place, weights and sins. The weight or the sin, it'll distract you from stepping. It'll keep you from consistency. Obedience is just taking those steps. Pastor Bruce says obedience is a long, steady walk in the same direction. You're consistent. You keep walking. You keep obeying. You keep listening for his voice. You keep moving forward. And those weights and those sins, they'll, they'll keep you. They'll distract you. Um, back in the 50s, um, in Oklahoma, there was an oil tycoon and ended up, he made tons of money off his oil rigs and stuff. And he had gone to this little high school there in Oklahoma. And they were always pretty bad at football. But everybody around there loved football. And there was another high school in the next city over that was always really good. And they won state lots of years. And they contended for state titles and all this stuff. But his high school that he went to, they never won. And he got sick of it because even some guys that worked for him came from the other high school that was always really good at football, and they would run their mouths and stuff. So this one time back in the 50s, this rich oil tycoon goes to the high school, and he asked the principal if he could speak to the football team. They said, okay. So he goes down there to the field house after one of their practices, and he says, look, coming up in two weeks, you guys are playing such and such a high school. I know a lot of you, you're underdogs, and I don't know that this school has ever beat that school, but I came down here to tell you that I've got plenty of money, and what I'm going to do is buy a brand new Ford pickup truck for every single person on this football team if y'all can win that game. Tired of hearing them, this is a true story. So these boys went crazy. This was a generally a pretty poor high school, so most of them didn't have vehicles, or if they did, they weren't, they weren't brand new trucks. Back in the 50s, he was going to buy every one of them a brand new pickup truck if they win that game. So these boys went crazy. They got pumped up. They started hitting the weight room as hard as they could. They were coming in early. Coaches were showing up at the school, and they were already out there running drills on the field and throwing passes and lifting weights and all excited and pumped up. And before the game, they were in the locker room, and they were screaming and hollering, and they had this speaker come in to give them this big motivational speech and pump them up and they all ran out on the field ready to all get their new Ford trucks and they lost the game 38 to nothing. They got the brakes beat off of them. Why? Because they did for two weeks what they should have been doing all year if they wanted to win. Consistency matters. You can't just, it's a flash in the pan, y'all. Now I'm going to jump in here and do what I'm supposed to have been doing all along. I'm going to run this race with consistency. You ever heard about the tortoise and the hare? Consistency. 
Don't despise the steps. Keep moving. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise small beginnings. You don't need to know every step. But you do need to take a step. You don't have to know every single step. But take a step. Get moving. So is your coat a ripoff? Now, I had a couple of different ways I was thinking about going with this. Is your coat a ripoff? I was going to talk to you about, like, is it a counterfeit? Is it a fake? Are you hiding behind masks? Are you who you really are? You are who you say you are. It that could have been really good. I was going to use, like, you know, when Paul didn't know who he was, he was killing Christians, he was on the road to demask us take off the mask and let him know who he really is and had this cool little Christian stuff I was going to say, but I decided that wasn't it. So, look at Genesis 37. And pray that he will demask us on that road. Genesis 37, 21. This is a really familiar story. So, I'm not going to read the whole entire story. I just want to highlight a couple things so that you get what I'm talking about. I believe God's going to say something to us, but I don't think we have to read the whole story because you all probably know it. Um, It's the story of Joseph, and Joseph was the 11th child, and he was special, and his dad thought he was awesome. He was the greatest one ever, and his dad made him this special multicolored dream coat, and he gave it to him, and his brothers hated him. Because his dad thought he was the favorite. And then he had this dream and he came to him and said, Hey, uh, I had this dream that all y'all and mom and dad and everybody bowed down and worshiped me. And I was the ruler over all y'all. And they were like, little punk, who's he think he is? Okay, so that's where we're at in the story right now. So then Joseph's back at home and his dad says, Hey, I need you to go check on your brothers. They took the sheep away, and I need you to go check on your brothers and let me know how they're doing. He said, okay, I'll go check on them, Dad. And so here goes Joseph over the hill, and he's searching for his brothers. You can go read the story if you haven't read it, but that's what's happening. And Joseph sees his brothers a long ways off. Oh, there they are. He finds his brothers with all the sheep, and he starts heading towards them. And chapter 37, verse 23 says this, When Joseph reached his brothers... They ripped off the fancy coat. Is your coat a ripoff? They ripped it off of him. They ripped off the fancy coat he was wearing. And they grabbed him. And they threw him into a cistern. A dry well. The cistern was dry. And there wasn't any water in it. So... We've been talking about the coat that you're wearing, the jacket that you're wearing, the covering that, you under, that you're under, other people's coats that you're holding. Now, today, we're talking about somebody that had this awesome coat that was given to them by the Father. And it got ripped off when he was in obedience. He was doing what the Father told him to do. He went to check on his brothers and the coat got ripped off of him and he liked that coat. Well, maybe if we read on in the story, he'll get his coat back. Nah. Brothers ripped it up and dumped goat blood all over it. To make his dad think that he was killed. Not even Shout can take that out. Trust me. 
they ripped his coat off. They took it away from him, and then they wanted to kill him while he's laying in that pit, and his older brother felt really bad, like, wow, we can't kill our brother, so he talks him into, no, let's just pull him out and sell him into slavery. That's better. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, bro. So they said, okay, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So they pull him out, and he's like, oh, thank God. Y'all came to your senses. Oh, thanks, guys. Can I have my jacket back? They're like, shut up. What? Hell, it's what? And he's like, no, stop talking. And then he sees them taking money from this caravan of foreigners. Wait, guys, did I miss something? Hey, guys, they chain him up, and there he goes. See you, dreamer. We'll bow down to you one day. <laughs> yeah, right. See ya. Things are going really good for this fella. Poor old Joseph. And so he's sold to a man named Potiphar. You know what he does? Starts working. Trust God. Trust the dream. Trust the vision. He, he's working. His coat was ripped off of him. It was a good coat. But that coat had to go. A slave wouldn't be wearing a multicolored coat. This nice, fancy coat. No. That, see, that one had to go for him to move on, to go where God wanted him to go. And he got a new coat in Potiphar's house. If you go read the story, it tells us that everything he did, God was on it. And that Potiphar started to notice, man, I put this dude out here in the fields and my crops do better. I put him in my house, my house does better. I put him in charge of my finances, finances do better. Everything he touches, God's all over it. So Potiphar put him in charge of everything. There was nothing that he wasn't in charge of in Potiphar's house. He got a new coat, a new position. Verse, chapter 39, verse 11 says, On one of those days, he came to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants happened to be there. Uh-oh. Potiphar's wife, she grabbed him by his coat or by his cloak, saying, Sleep with me. He left his coat in her hand, and he ran out of the house. That dude just lost another coat. He left his coat in her hand. She ripped it off of him. It's another ripoff. Another coat got snatched off of him. He ran out of the house. And when she realized that he had left his coat in her hand, that dude must have been pretty fast. She grabbed his coat. He took off, the, ripped out of the coat, ran out of the house. And then she realized, oh my, whoa, I'm still holding his coat. It was still in her hand and ran outside and she called to her house servants, look, this Hebrew shows up before you now. <laughs> He's trying to seduce us. Trying to seduce us? But it's between you and him, for one. Not, he's not trying to seduce us as a whole, all of us people. He tried to make love to me, but I yelled as loud as I could. With all of my yelling and screaming, he left
left his coat beside me here and he ran out. I don't even know. See, if she sounded like that, you run too. She kept his coat right there until his master came home. Uh-oh. And she told him the same story. She said, I'll spare you the voice again. The Hebrew slave, the one you brought to us, he came after me. And he tried to use me for his plaything. When I yelled and screamed, he left his coat with me and he ran outside. He didn't leave his coat. When his master heard his wife's story, telling him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious. Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. But there in jail, God was still with Joseph. Wait, he lost another coat? He didn't even do what she said he did. She's a liar. He got thrown in jail. And still God was with him. Potiphar didn't know about the dream. Potiphar didn't even know God. He was an Egyptian. He worshipped the Egyptian gods. But he knew Joseph. And he put him in charge of everything he had because he could tell there was something different about him. God was with him. When he made it to Potiphar's house, there are people in your world that don't know God. There are people in your family that don't know God. But they know you. Do you know who you are? Joseph knew who he was, even when he lost his coat. What is in you is greater than what's around you. If you focus on what's around you, you'll forget the dream and just try to survive. You can't focus on what's around you. You sure can't focus on what you lost. He'd have still been focusing on his multicolored dream coat. Well, now he lost another coat. Now, now this coat got ripped away from him, and he still didn't give up. Sometimes the right thing leads to the wrong place. We don't want to hear that. Joseph did the right thing and ended up in the wrong place. Now he's in jail. It's one thing to go to jail for doing the wrong thing. Well, I deserved it. I was an idiot. I, I should be here. I mean, that's, that's one thing. To go to jail for doing the wrong thing. But what about when you do the right thing and you get thrown in jail? That's a hard pill to swallow. What? We want to rise up. We want to fight back. We want to. This is not fair. Life's not fair. You know what I'm talking about. When you see co-workers that are doing the wrong thing, maybe a little unethical, and you're doing the right thing, and then they get promoted, and you stay in the same old job. Or when you're praying that God would send you a spouse, and you make a vow to stay pure and do it the right way, and then you see other people that are just messing around and then 
you're helping with their wedding or or you're a kid and you make a decision to honor God and your parents and you see all your friends that seem to be having a fun time going out and partying and doing things that go against what you believe, but you when you do the right thing, but it seems like it's landing you in the wrong place. Can I remind you today that you're living for something bigger than yourself? It's not just about right now. It's much bigger than you. The God dream is bigger than you. A professional athlete has to train harder than a weekend warrior. We'll go home today and watch the Falcons soundly defeat the Browns. But guess what? The guys on both sides of that ball have probably worked out harder than all of us in this room for years and years and years. They're professional athletes. That's what they have to do. Definitely been pushing harder than Zach. I'm just... (laughs) 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 Professional athletes... They push harder than weekend warriors. God's got a big dream for you, a big plan for you. So maybe it's taken some pretty serious steps to get you where he has, or maybe you don't even realize how big it is. How are you going to get gains with no pain? You're not. The state... Or the start of your God dream may look like a nightmare. I hate to tell you that. But when you look back and realize it was the only way, it might look like a nightmare at first, though. Don't live there. Don't live in the pain. You got to do like Joseph and keep moving on. See, with God, the wrong place is the right place. He can work all things together for good. You're being prepared. My question for you today is, what are you doing in that season? Are you faithful? Are you resisting temptation like Joseph did, or are you just fitting in? We get distracted. And we fit in, and who would ever know? There's all kinds of temptation. Are you sitting around crying over lost jackets? Looking back at the past? Crying about that old coat that you used to have because daddy gave it to me and it was awesome and it was a designer jacket. And Then you're never going to move forward to the God dream. You'll be stuck right there. Crying over those lost jackets. Will you be a survivor or an overcomer? Overcomers fall down. Overcomers get beat up, but they get back up. They keep moving forward. They win. They get stronger through the trials, through the knockdowns, through the lost coats. They keep going because they know I'm getting a new coat. They keep pushing forward. They can take your position, but they can't take your purpose. No one. Look at Genesis 44. Genesis 44, 14. 
Wait a minute. I might have told you the wrong one. 41, 14. So Joseph's in the jail. He interprets a couple of dreams for the king's baker and the king's like wine cup guy that brings him his wine cup. He interprets a couple of dreams correctly, and then they said they would tell Pharaoh about it when they got out, and they would tell him that he could interpret dreams, and they left, and uh, two years went by. He forgot to tell him. But then Pharaoh had a couple of dreams, and the guy remembers, and so they're like, send for this guy. Bring this Hebrew up here and see if he can interpret the dream. And Pharaoh at once sent for Joseph. Oh, well, bring him to me. And they brought him on the run from the jail cell. And look what happened. He cut his hair and he put on clean clothes. He got a new coat. Had to get him a new coat or some clean clothes. And he came to Pharaoh. He cut his hair and he put on clean clothes. He put on a new coat. If you focus on circumstances, if you focus on lost coats or stolen coats, if you're stuck in the past, if you're stuck in the pain, then you're going to lose your passion. I know a whole lot of people that don't have any passion. God's called them to do things and be things and They just got no passion. They just kind of go through the motions. They're not really like giving all they got, or it's it's just ah yeah yeah that's what I'm uh, blah like just kind of lackluster Christianity. I don't want to be that. I think there's so much more than that. I don't want any area of my life to be that. Well, I don't have any passion in my marriage. We just go through the motions. Who wants that? You know, when you say about somebody, oh, he's got a passion for music, or she has a passion for kids. I'm talking about a love. It's an emotion, a passion for God, for worship, for community, for people. We've talked about over the last few weeks about opening up and healing and living life with an open hand or being the real you. Jesus said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Lose your heart, your breath. If you lose you, who I've created you to be, what does it matter if you gain everything and you lose the real you? Cover you up. You were created for relationship, for love, for passion, to live life to the fullest. I think lots of Christians have just lost their passion. Well, well, when do we lose it? Usually when things get bad. When our jacket gets ripped off. Things don't turn out like we thought they would. When things die down and hurt happens, that's when people lose their passion. Please stop thinking about other people for a few minutes and apply this to yourself. Because we can all probably apply it to us. When did you get hurt? When did you lose your passion? It might have been a long time. We can look through the Bible and see that John the Baptist lost his passion when he was sitting in jail. And he's like, maybe I missed it. Maybe he's not the one. 
He's the one that baptized Jesus. He's the one that was preaching and preparing away, and he was thrown in jail, and he ends up getting his head chopped off in jail. But he lost his passion. You know who else lost their passion? Elijah, this powerful prophet. Or what about Peter? Remember Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and he, he ended up denying Jesus. He was so passionate before the cross. He said, no, nah, they're not going to take you. They won't crucify you. No, nah, I'll pull out this sword. I'll kill people before they get to you, Jesus. I'm your ride or die. They ain't touching you. And then even when the guards came up, he whips out his sword. But then right there, his passion started to go a little bit. And he looks around at the other soldiers and the leaders. And he chops off a servant's ear. And, you know, we know from looking at biblical history that the servant would have been the only one there without a sword. He picked the only unarmed man and chopped his ear off, so. Good work, Pete. A real tough guy. <laughs> but then he lost his passion. He started denying that he even knew Jesus. He cursed at a fire when a, a young girl said, No, aren't you? I saw you with him. You were. Then he saw the cousin of the dude whose ear he chopped off was there and said, yeah, that dude chopped off my cousin's ear. Go read it. And Peter cussed and cursed. I don't know him. And then Jesus came back. And Jesus made sure the third time that he appeared to the disciples, he came back to Peter. And Peter had gone back to fishing he went back to what God, to what he was doing when God called him. When Jesus came and said, come follow me, he was fishing. And he just went back to what he knew and the other disciples followed him. So Jesus showed up and he called him over to the shore. And uh, John 21 verse 14 says, This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17, And he said unto him the third time, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And we've talked about the fact that he denied Jesus three times and Jesus was maybe giving him three times to make it right. And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Peter got emotional. Peter started to cry. Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. How do I get my passion back? Relationship. It's relationship with God and with people. Because usually you're hurt, you're mad, where you lost your passion, that pain, it it's probably either directed towards God or another human. Some of you may have lost your passion because your dog 
kept using the bathroom in the house, but I'm betting it's probably to do with God or human. We're called to be in relationship. We're called to fix those relationships with each other. And that's how we get our passion back. Relationship is so important. I feel like God's been dealing with me about that this week, just as I think about the relationships that I have and I evaluate the relationships that I have. The right vision with the wrong people is irrelevant. You can have the right vision but have the wrong people around you and good luck with that. I think lots of times we focus on winning the game when we should focus on picking our team. I mean, you ever been involved in a schoolyard pick? I have. And sometimes, hey, we've gone down here and picked on Wednesday nights for church, and sometimes you let some geniuses pick teams. The worst thing is when you let one genius pick a team and one that's not so genius. And what you end up with is one stacked team and one team of that genius's friends. You already know who's going to win the game before the first pitch is thrown. It's not even a question. The game's not even fun anymore. You're just looking over there like, well, we already know who won this one. It's the same for us. Your team matters. Got to pick the right team. As I was thinking along these lines and just about how important relationship and the right relationships are, I was thinking about the, the fact that I could load up one of our 15 passenger vans right out here with 15 of you, hook up the little black trailer that the church has out there, and we could load up luggage. And if we've picked out the 15 right people in this room, represented in this room right here, 15 right people. I 100% believe that we could drive to anywhere in the U.S., really anywhere in the world. Go to Texas, Utah, Jamaica, Mexico, wherever. And that we could change the world from wherever we parked that van. We'd be okay. We could start a ministry. We could start a church. We could touch the lives of anyone in that community. We would grow. We would thrive. We would find work. We would build houses. We would, and we would flourish. And we would be what we're called to be. And we would dream God-sized dreams. And we would change the world from wherever that van parked. And I also believe on the flip side of the coin that we could load up that van with 15 people out of this room. And they could drive somewhere, anywhere, could drive to the same place, wherever that bus landed, and they'd struggle. And we'd be homeless. And we'd be living under a bridge and begging people and trying to find food and living off of scraps for years and years and years. Relationships matter. Who do you got around you? We got to love everybody. We got to minister to the broken. We have to build up everybody. We have to be in relation. But who are the close ones? 
The vision is important. But the right people over you and under you trump the vision. Because then whatever the vision is, they make it happen. They're pumped to be a part. If I go on vacation and get a vision for the vacation, my vision is that we're going to Florida and it's going to be a fun vacation. But then I go with a bunch of people that we disagree or we're butting heads the whole time or we can't stand each other or we're arguing. It ruins the whole vision. We may accomplish the vision, but it ain't going to be fun. But I can go on that same vacation with people that I love and we enjoy each other and it's going to be fun and we can accomplish the vision. So how do I get my passion? Relationship with God and people. Not just the people you like, some people you need. Jesus said, hey, Peter, do you love me? And the first time he said it, he used the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? That's God's love. That's unconditional love that needs nothing in return. That's the love that God had for us. He said, hey, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, yeah, you know I do. He said, okay, feed my sheep. The second time that Jesus said it, then he used agape again. Peter, do you agape me? Peter said, yeah, Lord, you know I agape you. You know I love you. The third time Jesus said to it when it said he got emotional, Jesus said to Peter, do you phileo me? Wait, that's a brotherly love. That's a love that we would have one for another. That's a kiss. Literally means a kiss. So, so why did Jesus change and use another love? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, can you love me in people? Do you agape me? Yeah. Do you agape me? Yeah. Can you love me in people? Peter got emotional. But that one's hard. What about the people that killed you? It didn't turn out like I thought it was going to turn out. I, I'm embarrassed. I, I did this and I did that and I went back and I, all the other disciples are following me. To, Jesus said, can you love me in people? Then feed my sheep and serve people. Give your life, Peter. Can you phileo me? Peter got emotional. Yes. Yeah, I can. I went to Walmart late Friday night. Um, and there was no one out. It was pretty cold. And I went after we got back from the football game. It was really late. I had to go pick up something. And... I walked up to the front door of Walmart and I had a vision of going into Walmart and buying a space heater. That's what I was there for. And I prayed that God would open the door. And nothing happened. And I stood there and the wind blew and I froze. I said, God, please open the door. I thought you want, my vision was to go here and buy a space heater, and the door wouldn't open. Some other dude pulls up in his truck, jumped out of his truck, walked up, and the door opened for him, and he walked in. I said, God, I've been standing here praying. 
the door stayed closed in my face. And he gets doors open for him. Guess you love him more than me. I took a couple of steps forward and closer to the door. And I prayed that God would open it again. And it still didn't open. I took a couple more steps. And when I got right up in front of the door, guess what? God did a miracle and opened the door and I didn't even touch it. I'm not lying. The door just opened. And I walked in and I accomplished what I was there to accomplish. Y'all are thinking, yeah, it's motion activated. So is God. So is the dream that God has for your life. You can stand there 20 feet away and pray for that door to open from now until the rest of your life. But until you take those steps of obedience and step out, the door's not going to open. All them heaters are on the other side of that door. Blessings and provision in the land of milk and honey. Right inside Walmart. After God opened that door, I walked down the aisle and saw just honey, 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 and then turned it and boom, milk. I'm talking about just fridges full of milk. The land of milk and honey. But I had to take a step. And as I was getting close, the door was closed and I didn't feel welcome and I felt like other people were getting in and I couldn't get in and I was freezing cold outside and I could have stayed outside and froze and never got my heater. But I had to take a step. God's calling all of us to take some steps. Hey, you know the dream. You've known the dream. You feel the dream. You feel the prompting. Take a step. Get some passion back and step towards the door. It's right on the other side. I thought God said I would walk in the land of Wally World. But that door never opened for me. Now I'm 94 years old. Could it be that you never took the step? They did a survey of people that were 90 and older. And they asked them, what's the biggest regret of your life? And the overwhelming first place response of all the people 90 and older that they surveyed was what would you do more what what was your biggest regret they said i wish i would have taken more risks more chances i just played it safe that was the overwhelming example i was led by my fears i never never stepped out god will give you a dream but his dreams are motion activated just like Walmart store. Now I have been in a real big hurry running and ran into Walmart store because it don't open fast enough. You can run into, into God's dreams if you're trying to go a little too fast. But that's only happened to me once. You got to take a step. It takes obedience. He wants to put the weight on you, but you haven't done the reps. He'll give you the money, but you're not faithful with your finances yet. Some of you say, God, I've been faithful. When can I get my multicolored dream coat back? 
And God said, it's not about the multicolored dream coat. It's way bigger than that. Stop asking for that thing back that you had in the past. I got something bigger and better. Well, I've been faithful in this season just like Joseph now. Well, give me my coat back. That's the wrong coat. That thing's way too small for you. You were a little kid when he gave you that. It's a rip-off. It was put on you to be ripped off. Because that would get you where you need to be. God says, stop looking back. It's so much bigger than that. I'll close by reading you Genesis 41, verse 41. So Joseph comes to the palace, and, you know, he cut his hair, and he put on some clean clothes. He put on a new coat. Yeah, this looks good. This looks like it'll get me to where I'm supposed to be. This will be it. So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph. I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. And then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger, and he slipped it on Joseph's hand. And he outfitted him in robes of the best linen. And he put a gold chain around his neck. Sounds kind of like the prodigal. He finally made it. And he put a ring on his finger and new robes on him. He put a gold chain on him. I noticed gold chains are coming back. Put the gold chain on his neck. That's my boy. And he put this... And he put the second-in-command chariot at his disposal. And he rode, and as he rode, people shouted, Bravo! Joseph was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Joseph got a new robe. But it didn't look anything like that first coat he had. This was an Egyptian's robe, the robe of a pharaoh. He was second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Pharaoh was the only one over him, and nothing could happen without him saying so. He had the signet ring. He could write laws. He was the most powerful in the world. He even, you know, how they, they dress up the pharaohs. Joseph was wearing unique and had this Egyptian robe on. Y'all don't believe me? Go read the story, because later on, his brothers show up, and they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know who he was. Why? Because he had on a bunch of Egyptian makeup and robes. Now, I'm not saying the big dream from God is for you to put on a dress and some makeup. But I'm saying that new coat that he had on to then save his brothers and the whole entire nation and, and the world from this famine and to bring food and to be what those dreams he had way back then, well, the way that had to come to pass, he couldn't be wearing his multicolored dream coat. He couldn't even be wearing his successful businessman in Potiphar's house coat. That wasn't enough. And he was doing good there. He was fine. He could have just stayed right there. Compromised and done pretty good, but it wasn't the dream. He had another coat he was supposed to put on. 
He stayed faithful. He ran from temptation. And God was with him. No matter where he ended up, no matter what coat got ripped off of him, God was still with him. What coat are you wearing? Let's pray. God, we hear you. God, we want to be faithful. God, dress us. We don't want to be big people in little coats looking ridiculous. We want to dress for where we're headed. We want to dress for where you've called us to be. God, forgive us for wasting years and years standing in front of the motion-activated door, praying that you would open it when all we needed was a few steps of obedience. God, forgive us for praying for financial blessings when we're not willing to take steps of obedience. Forgive us for every area of our life that we've cried and prayed and screamed for you to come through, but we're not willing to obey. God, help us to stop mourning over lost coats, but to realize we're moving forward and that you've never left us even if we make our bed in hell. And you're with us there. God, we love you. God, I thank you for your favor. God, I thank you that you're doing some big things in our hearts and in our minds, and that will translate to our world. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Remind us who we are and help us to put on love. In Jesus' name, amen.